everybody, and welcome to That's Life, where summer camps are ending. We're back from our Nefesh trip. We're about to bench Rosh Chodesh Elul, so basically, Avrami, I wish you a happy new year. Good morning, folks, and thanks for listening. I am Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, general manager here at the Nachum Siegel Network. You can find me here right after Allison, right before Nachum's live lunch. Not even bleary-eyed, not even jet-lagged. My eyes do not deceive me. Joined by Avrami behind the board. Good morning, Avram. Good morning, Miriam. How are you? I think I'm well. So much has happened since the last time I saw you. I don't even remember when that was. But on the other hand, when I was parking my car this morning, I didn't even remember what day of the week it was. It's been a little bit of a whirlwind, and thank God it has been. Uh, everything has worked perfectly, Bali Ayin Hara, this week. But we flew to Israel on Monday with Nefesh Benefesh, part of the incredible, incredible experience of our sixth Aliyah, as 233 Olim made Aliyah for real, as we call it, our fake Aliyah. They made Aliyah for real. Mayor Kay was on that flight of Rummy. I, I haven't seen the video yet. I don't even know if it's out yet. But I imagine that it is going to truly captivate, just from a Mayor Kay kind of way, how incredible that flight was. So I you know, I, I knew it was going to be happening because uh, Nahum had interviewed him and so right. on. Did you was there something going on like while you were doing the show? Is that when it was going on? Was it before? Was it after? What was I mean, you had to have been on some of a part of it or the proceedings of what was happening, no? Well well, Mayer was doing his thing. I mean, keep in mind it's a it's a nine hour it's a nine hour plus flight, of which three uh, hours of it are us being on the air, the hour before us going on the air, the prep, etc., the you know, the setup and just working on the lineup, etc. And then there's a three hour of the show. Uh, which we do straight, and then there's about a half an hour, 45 minutes afterwards, we're really, you know, bringing it all together and making sure it's it's all succinct and cleaning up the equipment, etc. And around which Mayor K is doing some of his stuff, but we set up our mobile studio in the section of the plane where we were sitting in the business class section. So Mayor was really doing his Mayor K shtick, um, and I mean that shtick with love, not like shtick with eye roll, but shtick with complete love and respect towards the middle half of the plane and the back of the plane where the families and the Olim were sitting. The um, the business class section is really kept for media members, etc., all of whom are working on uh, on their pieces, etc., and, and making sure that they can file as soon as they land and getting the information up and doing interviews and networking, etc. Like, that's the business half. And where the Nefesh members, the Nefesh team members sit, that they call their mobile office. They tell people, and, and what's funny is that they tell people, you know, feel free to come up and visit us and whatever. This isn't a situation where you're sitting in business and they, they move that curtain back very quickly to the people who are sitting on the other side of the plane so that the people in business don't get bothered. Yeah, it's a free flow. We just happen to be sitting in those seats. It's more like it, and we need the room. I mean, I... Um, we we set up this mobile studio. I bring a step stool with me at this point so that when I when I fly, I can keep my feet up a little bit. But that becomes a third chair, and then somebody goes, "Wow, we should really bring chairs on the plane so that we have more seats." I'm like, "We're not, we're not bringing folding chairs on the plane. Like, there has to be a limit to the crazy. You know what I'm saying?" But um, but Mayor was. Um, I'm sure you saw pictures of the fidget spinner. There was a nefesh benefesh fidget spinner that they gave out on the plane, and Mayor was the one who was handing them out. And so all of a sudden, yeah, it was real fun um and it was it was pretty cute when all of the flight attendants were like flicking their nefesh nefesh fidget spinners and just the whole plane and you know it's mayor and so he has a wonderful energy and a tremendous warmth and um was certainly getting the the whole gist of of just what was going on what was interesting to me also is that his videographer 
uh, as a non-Jewish guy, I think whose name was Adam or, or something, and he was totally taken with him. I mean, you can't not be. It's not just about being Jewish and going to your homeland. It's also about being witness to people fulfilling a dream. And that, to me, was was really the essence of it. Like, it, it wasn't lost on him because he wasn't feeling that same connection to the land. Like, he was in awe of what was going on and also of the professionalism and the organization and the everything that is so part of Nefesh Benefesh. So um, that is a very long answer to what was your very short and succinct question. Um, but um, but I hope it was enjoyable to listen to. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the video and how it all comes together. Yeah, um, yes. So Mayer's video should, I don't even know if it's out yet. I, I have no idea. I'm still trying to get out from under just being... I was going to say being away for two days, but I don't even know if that counts for being away for two days. We were we rented a car for two and a half hours. We had technically rented this car from Hertz for five hours, except that never happened. We lost, I mean, we were uploading the show and we were doing, and you were working like a dog, so thank you for that, staying up all night. Um, but we were, we never, we, we didn't get out of the airport until about 10.30 when we got to the, we didn't get out of Terminal 1, I should say, until about 10.30. We got to the Hertz rental car at 11 o'clock. And they, when I made the reservation, they're like, so you want to return the car? I'm like, yes, the same day I'm picking it up. This is not a typo. I'm not overtired. I need the car for five hours. So we finally get the car at 11 o'clock. And I, you know, we take the car. We literally, we drive to get lunch. I rush the, the the check and we turn around and get back. So we're returning the rental car. And keep in mind it's Israel. So there's a you know even the even the guy at the Hertz rental car office is going to have some kind of a, uh, a a swagger about him, so to speak. And so he says, "When did you pick up the car?" I said, two and a half hours ago." So he said, "You rented the car for a day." And I said, "Yes." And he said, "Well, a day in my world is 24 hours. Is a day in your world any shorter?" I started laughing. I said, "We just landed this morning. We have a flight back this afternoon." I said, "It's really a very quick trip." And he looked at me and he said, "Well, maybe when you come next time, you can stay longer." And I was like, "Wow, this is really an only in Israel moment." And it seemed that people agreed because I then posted it on Facebook and landed and had like 40 something likes on my comment. But it's true because there is that you know, you're here, stay, you're with family kind of a feeling when you're in Israel. So mazal tov to all the olim, mazal tov to Nefesh Benefesh for another successful trip. And uh, we look forward to, please God, being on <laughs> yet another one. And we've actually been talking about, uh, Nachum spoke about it a little bit at the, uh, we might have been off the air. We were off the air at that point. We started talking on the plane with NBN people, with Tani Kramer in specific. And then when we landed with Yal, um, with, with Yal, with y'all about what we are going to do, please God, for next year. So if that shtick gets pulled off and this shtick got pulled off, let me tell you something. We got big plans coming ahead. All right. I've been talking for a while. I want to quickly do the fortune cookie. I want to quickly do the national holidays. Yoni is not here. He's still away in, I don't even know, Norway, Iceland, somewhere or another. Um, somewhere where somebody who's 6'4 and redhead, I'm sure fits in perfectly. Not a problem. So he did not pick this fortune cookie, so we may actually win this week. Oh, a rummy? No joke. It says luck is on your side today. <laughs> There's no way Yoni would have ever picked this one. All right, we're playing these numbers. Yoni has been playing numbers, by the way, on behalf of all of us, and clearly that's why we're not winning. Um, today is Black Cat Appreciation Day. It's I Love My Feet Day. I happen to love my feet. I do. Um, it's National Thrift Shop Day. We we'll don't have time for that today. Sorry. No, there's no time for that at all. And it's also National Nonprofit Day, 
which is something that we'll talk about at the end of That's Life. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network, and uh, my guest today is Dr. Naftali Hoff. He has just finished and um, and published Becoming the New Boss, the New Leader's Guide to Sustained Success, and he joins us here today. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am well. Thank you so much for, for joining us today, and thank you for sending me the copy of the book. I literally have read it cover to cover. I, oh, awesome. Yeah, I, I mean that wholeheartedly. I'm so, and it has nothing to do with having sat on multiple flights this week. Yeah, and have, I, was, I was listening <laughs> to your story. Sounds like you've had quite the opportunity to do some reading. Exa- I've had quite the opportunity, I would say. This has been a week of opportunity, but certainly an opportunity to do some reading. And I'm completely fascinated um, by so many of your choices uh, in, in the way you structured the book and some of the advice you give, etc. And I, I, I would really like to break it part as much as possible because I think that there is so much content in here that speaks to not just who the person becoming a boss for the first time but also people in general who are just part of teams and people who are on who are not bosses who have a boss and say wow I I'm learning what he could do better, what she could do better, and mm-hmm. I, and I'm seeing that all in this book. So the first thing I want to say is that when I read the title of the book, Becoming the New Boss, I read it as becoming the new boss, like in quotation marks, as if the way we've been bosses before hasn't worked, and we are now going to reframe what it means to be a boss. Was there any kind of thinking like that when you were titling it? You know, that's a great question. I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of circle back a little bit before I respond directly. Um, one of the things that I keep hearing in the feedback that I've gotten from a variety of people who have read it and have been kind enough to share reviews and things of the sort is that even though the title seems to imply that it's really a um, sort of a handbook for people who are getting into leadership, I tell people it's for people transitioning in or within leadership mm-hmm. so that maybe they're trying to find a new job or, or sort of move up to the next level, that kind of thing. The reality is that the leadership principles in the book are by, lar- by and large universal. And so it doesn't matter if you've been in your seat for no, no time at all, six months, a year, 20 years, you know, it's still good to understand how to build strong relationships, for example, and communicate effectively and manage change and how do you delegate all the kinds of things that leaders really grapple with on a regular basis. So, um, so the, the feedback, like I mentioned, is that, you know, yes, you've, you've sort of packaged it because obviously you want to have some kind of niche, some type of focus when you're putting something out there. Who is it for? What's your target audience, et cetera? But the reality is that it has universal leadership application. And so specific now to your question, I think that all of us should be thinking in terms of becoming a new boss, in mm. a sense, right? There's always an element of leadership uh, growth that we want to be engaged in, which is why really the great leaders out there and really anyone who's uh, successful in what they do are constantly thinking about new skills to learn and uh, strengthening what they already have and becoming better at it. And I think that in today's day and age in particular with the, you know, you mentioned Facebook earlier and of course we're all engaged in social media, all engaged in technological communication that's just par for the course today. But the reality is that there's so much research that talks about how social media is in many respects, diminishing. It, it creates more opportunity, certainly for conversation, but in many ways it diminishes the quality of that connection and the quality of that, of that relationship. And so I spend a lot of time in the book talking about 
why it is really so critical that at the end of the day that it's a workplace built around relationships, built around communication, and built around trust. Because mm. if there's trust, if people really understand that you're there to support them and that the feedback that you're giving them is there to help them grow rather than just to give them you know, some type of assessment or perhaps even some type of rebuke, then they're much more willing to hear what you have to say, their engagement level goes up, their productivity level increases. There's so much research that really points us to this as the center for an effective workplace. And I, I think that even though that's, you know, it's, a, it's a universal truism that hasn't changed over many millennia, the reality is nowadays in particular, I think people are starving for that relationship and for that guidance. So what's interesting is that um, as a person also with a, with a background in education, I hear you speaking like a teacher. And it is not a, an insult at all. If anything, it is your appreciation of the, of the classroom and the need to collaborate and the way education has shifted from a top-down model in which a principal is a person in, a, in an office who never leaves to somebody who is constantly in and out of the classroom and working on workshops and talking to students and working with, with teachers that, that, to me, allows you or gives you the, the experience to say, I know how to make this work. And and it's a model that doesn't just apply to uh, to a school. It's a model that applies to businesses all over the world of any spectrum because because this is the way we need to interact today, and that takes many forms. I would agree fully. Uh, it's kind of interesting because I know we're talking about the book, but just in terms of my own professional pathway, uh, I left school leadership about four years ago in order to become an executive coach, kind of like hang, hung my shingle and put myself out there. <laughs> um, and I think some of the people who I was talking to were wondering, well, how do you expect to work with people who are leaders outside of the world of education since that was my background? And the reality is, as I tell people all the time, I think that leading organizations, I might not be able to advise you in certain specific business applications, let's call it, because I haven't walked that walk, but I certainly can talk about how you, you know, create the framework for optimization and mm -hmm. for collaboration, team building, all these kinds of things. Because at the end of the day, I think that those ideas are universal. I agree with so you. I've really spoken to that. And what I also tested a lot of my content. Uh, the book is the end product of, of a number of years of writing where I was writing individual posts and individual, let's call them blog entries or articles, etc., sort of testing the market, getting a feel for, you know, what is the receptivity for the things that I have to share? Sometimes I used the personal anecdotes that I think you find in the book quite often because I want to frame this as not just being sort of research-based, but it's really experiential as well. And what I was finding is that there was great reception. You know, I publish on Smart Brief for Leadership. I, pu I publish on Huffington Post. Uh, I recently have a number of pieces that were accepted for success.com. And so these are, you know, the, the, the great world out there in the leadership, in the leadership uh, vertical leadership space. It's not just, you know, the world according to Naftali Hoff. Mm -hmm. And I think that the beauty is, is that the reception has gone way beyond the educational realm for people in all corners of the world. And, um, and that's what gave me the impetus to think like, you know, hey, I could put something together right. that could give people an opportunity to get it all in one place and to feel the experience of what I was dealing with as they are sort of, you know, encountering leadership or revisiting, 
you know, leadership as you talked about. Right. On a, and a, on a completely personal note and as a separate anecdote, I also, you know, when transitioning um, career-wise from a 15-year a um, life in, in a classroom, in a middle school classroom, to doing this full-time, I had also received a lot of, well, how in the world do you think you're going to be able to manage a network and work for Nahum Siegel and be in radio when you've been teaching middle school English for 15 years? And God has a plan because I could have not received any better training than having taught seventh and eighth grade English in middle schools. Because as I joke, if I can keep an eighth grade classroom of boys completely quiet, I can really do anything. So, yeah. 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 So there's a cop. I agree. And I, I actually <laughs> use that frequently. Like when I um, have conversations, for example, about speaking engagements or even recently with a company that's looking to create some uh, educational materials and, and marketing materials for their um, for the out, uh, their outbound sales team that's looking to engage with a particular population with a product that they have to the, that they're looking to market. You know, I tell them that you know my my educational background really provides me not only with an understanding of how to present information in a way mm-hmm. that a learner could process right, it, right. but also <laughs> how to have the confidence to get up in front of strangers uh-huh. and share a message <laughs> that, that you, know, you don't know if they're going to receive well or not just because you've done it for so long and you feel like you know, it's worked and, yes, it's a different audience a little bit and the message might have to be refined or changed here or there, but, but at your core you have that confidence because you've done it for so long. Absolutely. You've been listening to That's Life here at the Nahum Siegel Network and Naftali Ha author of Becoming the New Boss, The New Leader's Guide to Sustained Success, is joining us here today. The book is organized in eight different chapters, um, or I should say sections, and in between each section is a different chapter. Talk to me about how you organize this book for success so that the person who's reading it really has a scaffolded approach to how to become a new boss. Yeah, so I did this to a large degree because I wanted people to be able to quickly find that which was most important to them. Sure, I want everybody to read it cover to cover, but I know that in today's day and age, with people being busy and sort of their, their, their attention being somewhat fragmented, sure. you know, how do I give them the best experience possible where they could read it beginning to end if they want to, but they could also find specific areas, whether they be pain points for them or areas of, of growth and opportunity, without much difficulty. So I started to look for the commonalities, you know, where did I see certain things falling into place? And I'll, and I'll be honest, there are a couple of chapters I could have gone here or there, mm-hmm. um, but, but I, I saw some natural breakpoints. And I felt that, you know, again, if somebody is just getting into leadership, they want to understand what leadership is all about, they go straight to section one, understanding the leader's role. And there I talk about leadership versus management, the idea of having a vision, you know, and putting that vision into, pr- into place, having values that you can, uh, that you can embrace and get everybody right. to align around and, and creating the vision, sort of moving everybody forward. Uh, from there, section two is about laying the foundation. You know, how do you identify the right kind of job for yourself? Um, you know, how do you find out as much as possible about the, the job that, that, you're, that you're considering? All these kinds of questions. And at the same time, how do you become cognizant of things that are maybe weaknesses for you so that you could really prepare yourself to be the very best candidate and then the very best leader, you know, that you can be? I wanna, I, there, are two but, chapters, there are two chapters that really spoke to me um, more, more than any. And, and I'm not sure if that's because just 
that's the way I'm wired. But first, it was chapter five, lead ethically from the values up. You start the chapter with a quote by uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower. And, I, and I'm going to share the quote because I think it's very important. If a man's associates find him guilty of being phony, if they find that he lacks forthright integrity, he will fail. I wonder if you, if you happened upon a great quote that spoke to you in terms of the point of this chapter about how to be an ethical and values-driven leader, or did it just make it even better that this was a quote by Eisenhower? Um, I think it was the latter. In other words, I think we know what drives me primarily when I put my content together is the content itself. And then I try to find quotes that really succinctly capture the, the, the core message of, of, of that particular blog post, or in this case, a chapter. So, you know, I've got my, I've got my cheat sheet of great quotes <laughs> and, you know, various sites that I can go to for leadership quotes and things like that. And I, and I skim through them and I look for things that I think really, you know, like I said, succinctly capture the essence of what the, of what the chapter is trying to present. And then, of course, provide some added detail that really, uh, that really speak to it. But in this particular case, I mean, I think there's so many people that, that share this, this idea. One of them you may be familiar with is a leadership expert by the name of John C. Maxwell. Sure. And Maxwell is a best-selling author and a very well-known and widely respected speaker. Mm-hmm. And so in, in Maxwell, he has this idea in essence. It's like a fascinating thing. I use it when I talk to, uh, to audiences about change management and the importance of the leader the role of the leader really in letting that process move forward. And, and, and basically what Maxwell says is that if people embrace the leader and embrace the leader's message, then they get behind the leader. That's obvious. Right. If they don't embrace either the leader or his message, then they, don't, you know, they, don't, they get another leader. So those two are pretty clear. Uh, where it gets a little bit more gray is in the middle. So in the area where they embrace the leader but they don't embrace the message, then typically people will say, get another message or get another vision, because the leader is the, is the core, is the essence. And the, the flip side of it is if they embrace the idea that the leader is sharing, but they can't get behind the leader because they don't like the person or they feel affronted by that person in some type of way, whatever the reason, ultimately in most cases they're going to try to get another leader, even mm-hmm. though, again, they agree with what he's trying to do. So it's not enough just to have the right idea. It's really critical that you be the right person. Ah. And if you as a person, if you as the leader, really represent the kind of person that somebody wants to get behind, you may not be perfect in what you do, but ultimately you're going to get people to move in in the right general direction. So that's why this chapter and some of the others that, that speak to this point are really important, because when you have an ethical framework, when you have values that people can wrap around, when you've got the relationships that are strong, then you can advance the kind of change. And frankly, change management is probably the single most important right. responsibility of a leader today, more so perhaps than ever before. Right. No, that's a great point. The second chapter that really, spo- that really spoke to me was, know, was chapter 10, Know Whom You're Following. And I think that that spoke to me for two reasons. One, frankly, because I'm a Yankee fan, and there's a great Joe Girardi uh, anecdote in here about when he was taking over for Joe Torre and, and how he used Joe Torre, um, you know, basically for his institutional memory and going back, what 
what went right, what went wrong. And I think that so many people assume a new position and don't respect the fact that somebody took that seat before them. And it takes a tremendous amount of humility to say, I know what I'm going to do in this job, but I had better be smart about speaking to the person who sat here before me and say what went right and what went wrong. So, so to me, this was just a, you know, this was a great chapter because I think people miss that. They think they're coming in with their own ideas, their new ideas, and that it, that it would taint them possibly to hear from their predecessor. But instead, it is the right move to go to that person. Right. I would agree with that. And actually, in my case, um, unfortunately, my predecessor, who had built the school and was really a fantastic uh, school leader and principal on so many levels, uh, his wife um, was diagnosed with uh, terminal illness uh, his final year, the year that he already agreed to retire. And so everything ended abruptly because she passed away before the year ended. They mm. made uh, Aliyah, if you will, shortly before her passing so that she could uh, spend her final days in Eretz Yisrael. And so we didn't have the opportunity to bond the way that mm. I would have liked. And frankly, I think it would have been very helpful for me to get that feedback. But on the other side of things, you know, besides for a new leader, sometimes whether it's ego uh, or just the sense of I have my own ideas, uh, another reason that you, you really you know, may shy away is because it could be that the other le- leader is leaving not on his or, or her own terms. Right. You know, maybe they're being forced out and people are speaking disparagingly about that leader. And so you get the sense, well, that person doesn't have value here. And, and speaking to them is not going to contribute to my growth and, and to my transition. But the reality is, if they're willing to talk, no matter how they're, uh, you know, no matter what the reason for them, you know, for their departure, I think ultimately um, you're going to glean a lot of, of nuggets of good information from them. You know, who are the real mm-hmm. uh, leaders within the organization? Right. You know, who are the team players, and, and, and what has worked and what hasn't, and what are the you know the landmines along the way? All these kinds of things you're going to find out about. And if you have some great questions written up ahead of time. You'll, you'll really be able to drive the conversation to a good place. Yeah, so, now using your time. As you indicated, I think that that's really the basis. And everybody who goes in with that open mindset will typically get much more out of it. No, certainly using that time effectively. Speaking of using my time effectively, we are just about out of time. I do want to ask you one final question. Sure. Tell me, should President Trump read your book about becoming the new boss? Is there stuff? Are there tips in here? He absolutely should read it. Yeah, are there? I'm, try, I'm trying to think of would he actually not only would he read it, but would he actually accept any of the content in there? That's a different question. That is. Uh, a- but I, but I, but I, I, I think he would benefit from it like any leader, frankly, because it's always good to review, you know, what you're doing and where you could have opportunity for growth. Got it. All right. Well, we we should send a copy his way, shall we say? I'm yes. Depending on who the new director of communications is at the White House this week, you may be able to send that person a copy of the new book. Naftali Hoff is the author of Becoming the New Boss, The New Leader's Guide to Sustained Success, available on Amazon, correct? That is correct. Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, and you could also visit, I have a special book website, becomingthenewboss.com. <laughs> forward slash order is the order page and you has links there for all of the online retailers that are selling the book excellent Hatzlacha to you great job on the book and thanks uh, thanks for joining us today my pleasure thank you so much for having me absolutely my pleasure you've been listening to that's life here at the Nahum Siegel Network we have a full afternoon of programming right after the right after that's life the live lunch is hosted by Nahum Siegel right here on the Nahum Siegel Network and then afterwards we have a TBT we have a JM and AM from August 2008 uh, featuring Yitzi Spinner and Avi Newmark, who were in the studio that day. And then 
After the program, programming continues, including the Arab Shabbos show hosted by Mark Zomik at 7 p.m. Eastern Time tomorrow morning. Join Nachum Esios JMAM from 6 to 9, the week, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time. The weekly update is scheduled for 7.40 a.m. with Malcolm Holmline. At the conclusion of JMAM, Naomi, table for two. And then at 10 a.m. is the encore presentation of Thursday night's Arab Shabbos show with Mark Zomik. The Kedem Arab Shabbos music mix continues from that point. Up until candlelighting here in the New York area. Avrami hosts Saturday Night Siegel this Mote Shabbat starting at 9.30 p.m. Matis hosts, or, or a little earlier, says Avrami. Um, and then we have Sunday morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Matis hosting JM Sunday. And in celebration of National Non-For-Profit Day, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today or what you hear every day, show your support for our programming by going to fjbunity.org and making a donation. We truly appreciate it. In honor of Shabbos Mavarchim, a TBT favorite, it is Deddy covering Mayor Sherman's Yehi HaChodesh Hazeh. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys. Kinder, who was a big hoise, 